0: Good day, my Telos podcast friends. Today we're bringing to you eight of the biggest problems with the EOS IO software and some of the solutions that are creative that Telos is coming up with. This is a interesting, wide-ranging conversation, and you are sure to learn a lot. I loved it. Uh, Jack Tanner from At The Block Stock. What a, what a great mind. He comes chain agnostic, tons of deep dives and research and all the different blockchains out there, has put a lot of focus. Into Telos because of what's going on, so you will get some wide ranging insight from the greater crypto community here, and it's uh, a real deep insight into Telos and some of the problems and solutions that are right on the cutting edge right now. So this is a rad, rad podcast. And this podcast is sponsored by hybrid.games. So check it out. Get on the mailing waiting list. And uh, that is our sound engineer Scott's project that is coming along and it's cool. So um, without further ado, let's get straight into the podcast. Welcome Jack Tanner.
1: You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain. The TALOS Podcast. You stay in Wonderland, and I show
0: you how deep the rabbit hole goes. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Jack. And what's the most interesting thing going on in Telos for you right now?
1: Uh, so I'm getting more and more involved intel us i've done uh i've done two worker proposals now i've got my second one live at the moment and i mean i i started following the eos project and the eos io software uh early on during the token sale and i started when eos launched i was, I was closely watching and i was very impressed by um, you know its performance and also uh, you know, its usability and also it's it's ease for development. But then I started seeing Telos and seeing what they were trying to do and they were preempting some of the problems that EOS now has. And so I'm I'm very excited at a technical level that the EOSIO software is a platform is a kind of framework for governed blockchains. And that telos has taken um, you know, quite a few steps and is actively trying to be a better governed blockchain, uh, the best governed blockchain out there. So I'm very interested in it at a technical level, both how they're using the EOSIO software framework to do what they're trying to do. And also at a more political level, uh, what steps they've made to uh, create this governed platform, this governed blockchain and then what that implies for the dApps on it. And then I guess lastly, very exciting, is that I've I've done two worker proposals. So part of Telos, uh, one of the things they've implemented is the worker proposal system, and that allows uh, people like me who wants to contribute something to the community or to the development of the platform or the ecosystem, and it allows me to get something funded uh, through the blockchain governance. It doesn't go through a company. It just gets voted on by other Telos members in a way that, in theory, will uh, allow people actually adding value to get money to add that value. And I think it's, it's worked reasonably well so far for me. And I've been having a look at some of the other proposals, and some of them don't get through, and some of them do. And it's, it's interesting to see what they do. Uh, How that's working and that process has been updated as well uh, While I've been working with it. So interesting to see what kind of uh, Things that system can do but also just tell us as a whole. So I think it's just a very interesting technical and uh, political project
0: Yeah, it touches so many uh, it touches like you're saying technical political the worker proposal System has been has been a a really interesting to see how it's flourished on telos and how many things have gotten built and how many projects and how much uh, How many people have come over to help out? Um, What's your what is your worker proposal that you're that you did in the past and that you're currently having voted on?
1: So I've I've uh, I did one previous and I'm doing basically a copy of the same one. Okay, so I'm organizing uh, EOSIO workshops and I teach developers how eosio framework works to deploy networks like eos and telos and how to develop on it so i did the first one in london Um, it was a lot of lead work i you know i i uh i was teaching computer scientists so i made sure that i understood basically everything that was going on all the consensus stuff um i think at a higher level consensus can be summarized pretty quickly but there's so many details, and a lot of them are quite important, uh, especially once you're developing DApps on it. Yeah. So, uh, there's a lot of work getting that done. And now we're doing the, the second two. We're doing one in uh, Utrecht, which is near where I live, Amsterdam, and another one in London. And then I'm about to release a new worker proposal, which will be to um, basically do all the required. Uh, all the required background research and get everything right about Telos in a new upcoming video series called, uh, it'll be called Learn EOSIO, and it'll be a free uh, series on YouTube, it'll be teaching basically exactly how EOSIO framework works and basically looking at deployed networks like Telos uh, in detail. And so that's, there's, there's a lot of value there, it'll be aimed at uh, technical people, so I think a lot of investors should be able to get along with a lot of it, but there'll be, there'll be a whole segment just for developers. So there'll be a free developer course built into it.
0: That's fantastic. I That's that's part of the area that's so needed is this the bit of bridging the gap between developers and EOSIO software and how they can actually get in. You know, it fits in with something that we were, we're uh, just in an infinity block and then Telo San Francisco. We're talking about doing a, um, a conference called the future of work and the future of work Mm -hmm. kind of why the Silicon Valley is dead, but remote work isn't or why the, uh, or why, you know, tech work isn't. It's, it's this idea that, that works changing with things like the worker proposal where, where uh, a dev can go in and, educate themselves on something like you're building with the YouTube uh, videos, and then come in and look for a worker proposal that fits their skill set, or even find something to suggest that they can build and just get paid. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes out, it's really taking out, it changes the way that people look at work. When all of a sudden you can come in and add value and get paid for that value. You don't need, um, you know, a company putting out, jobs on a job board and then searching for them and going to work uh you know in san jose or something you can be yeah wherever you want around the world applying your skill set directly it's cool
1: yeah and there's some there's a i think arguably a lot of really good examples of this happening in the ethereum ecosystem as well mm-hmm. they have all of these bounty programs oh. and uh they've really flourished as well in that ecosystem so it's definitely not us specific and and it's an interesting shift in in how our work workforces can be uh, kind of utilized. I, I'm not sure it applies everywhere, but it, it applies quite well to technical work like developing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, what's the what would be the main difference between like a, the um, EOSIO or, a tele, or a Telos worker proposal specifically and like a ETH bounty system? What would be the biggest differences?
1: So, I think the, the Ethereum bounty systems. A lot of them are companies put up, uh, we have this problem, and this is the prize for solving it. Mm -hmm. This is what I've seen quite common. And then a dev can come along, solve it, create a PR, and basically if it solves it, they get paid. Whereas uh, the worker proposal system is the other way around. The person making the proposal says, this is the work that I want to do, will you fund it?
0: I wonder if yeah. I wonder if Telos could uh start i mean I guess to some extent they do if you're involved in the community that you'll you'll kind of hear rumblings of things that need fixing and uh so it's just kinda there it's almost like it part of that bounty system can be integrated. I wonder if uh Telos has considered putting up an actual uh bounty board or something where they have a list of projects. you know if that exists right now
1: I don't know but i there's no reason why both models couldn't exist in both ecosystems really. And they've both, you know, probably got their pros and cons. I think in terms of, in terms of like developing, you know, core, core parts of the architecture, having that centralized has, has its benefits and try to have lots of people like contribute to that makes things a bit messy. Uh, whereas trying to incentivize the ecosystem to, to do things outside of that uh, central part, you know, might, might make more sense in some spaces. I think in the Ethereum ecosystem, they're, they're, they're really trying to, you know, decentralize everything and that, that includes all the work. And that's just part of their philosophy. So I think it makes more sense in their ecosystem than in the EOSIO ecosystem. I said uh, they they could both work. Yeah.
0: well um, it, it's back to kind of your your teaching in your YouTube videos that uh that teaching I mean you, you must have had to dig in really deep. I mean, to be able to teach something, especially to engineers, you're going to have to really, um, have a, a deep understanding. You mentioned the consensus algorithm and it's easy to explain on the surface, but there's some things that if you're building dApps that maybe you wouldn't see, or maybe most people wouldn't know what's, what's like a good example of something about Telos consensus algorithm that people might not know, but the dApp developers need to know or need to work with.
1: Yeah. So, um, one, one thing that's really cool about Telos consensus is, is that it's most of the rules are on chain. So all of most of the rules in consensus are on chain. That means they're done through smart contracts. that includes the election of block producers. It includes the schedule of block producers, the voting of block producers. There's a few bits that are not on chain though, and that's creating the blocks and propagating around the network and then getting one to agree that that is the next block. And what can happen? Is basically uh, uh, two block producers may make uh, at at this at around the same time uh, a block that does extend from the previous block, and basically you have these two versions of the blockchain. And that's called a mini fork. And at this point, um, what can happen is is if that mini fork propagates for a little bit of time, um, a transaction may appear in one but not the other and then be cancelled in the other one it's like an extreme edge case um, that i really don't think developers need to know about but it is uh something that could theoretically happen um and and digging down to kind of find these details has been you know a lot of work i spent a lot of time on the eos developers forum and the telos developers forum just just you know hacking away with questions and then like going to private conversation with loads of people uh, block one assisted a little bit not so much they got to a few questions um, but their, their support hasn't been so much in in most of my endeavors so far
0: what's the uh where's where's the best place that you're finding support within within telegram
1: channels yeah yep, easily yeah um even today, I spent about an hour on the Boss Core developers channel figuring out how their three-second last-to-reversible block algorithm worked, because they had a whole bunch of documentation, and getting the final answer was, was rough, but we got there telegram
0: yeah that's interesting i mean part of the reason that uh that you do a, a ton of things within the community i've seen you bouncing around all kinds of telegram channels but i saw this article you wrote the eight worst issues and best features of eosio uh software and i uh and one of them was that um this uh that has to do with boss core it's a three minute block finality right um so mm-hmm. Uh, talk about why three-minute block finality is a drawback and how it sounds like Boscore drop address that.
1: So well, I'll just say I wrote this article. It focused on the EOS blockchain, which is a deployed network using the EOS AO framework, just like Telos is a deployed network using the same framework. Uh, and a lot of this article does apply to other deployed networks like Telos. Um Anyway, one of the characteristics of the EOSIO framework is how long it takes to achieve finality and that means when you would consider a verse uh, irreversible, when it, when it would never be um, undone in the history of time. Now the way it's done on uh, you know, built into the EOSIO framework means that that takes about three minutes. Uh, if you have 21 block producers and that's quite a long time so you have a half a second for a block to be created um, which is very fast it's the fastest of all of the blockchain frameworks that I know including I will say even a lot of the private permission enterprise blockchains faster than those even and um, that, that's an amazing usability feature because you you send a transaction it goes to the network and then all you know, almost instantly your D app can register that. It's a great user experience. But that only means that one one block producer has really confirmed that transaction. It doesn't mean that uh, the 15 out of the 21 required for consensus have actually confirmed it. That takes three minutes. And it's to do with um, the schedule of 21 producers. So you need to go through Each producer has a slot of 12 blocks to create. So you have to go through 15 blocks before 15 producer 15 slots of 12 blocks before 15 producers have confirmed a block. And you have to do that twice. And the reason you have to do it twice is a bit complicated. Um, It's actually interestingly due to some feedback that Vitalik gave to Dan Larimer during the design of Delegated Proof-of-Stake. Anyway, so it's three minutes. And what that means is that to really believe and know that your transaction cannot be reversed means you've got to wait that three minutes. For most dApp usage, I don't think that's necessary, but for very high value transactions, say you're moving a, a million dollars or something like this, or whatever transaction is, you're betting a million dollars on some betting app, you really want to wait to make sure it's been included in the blockchain and that cannot be reversed. So for those types of transactions, it's important. And so exchanges should, uh, for high value transactions or maybe most transactions will wait at least that three minutes to see that it's uh, achieved finality. And the, the issue is that that, is a very different experience to the half second block time so it's a usability problem so of
0: how often does a block uh get accepted by one block producer that half second and then somewhere in that 3 minutes get reversed i don't think it's ever happened
1: okay On so, us or telus
0: so that is yeah. um so it 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 theoretically can happen doesn't happen often uh, so it sounds like that dApps, maybe that um, the the trend that's using microtransactions or things like that can kind of operate on the half second
1: i i think I think if you waited um i think th- there are cases where you have these micro forks uh and there there seems to be about one or two every couple of minutes uh on EOS and Telos as far as i've been uh, viewing so it does happen uh so you can reverse blocks but it usually happens that a transaction will still be included in the blockchain um yeah sorry i I should have made it clear you it is possible to have these forks so in that case you do kind of reverse a block but very temporarily Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen um, it doesn't happen after uh you know, a minute. It happens within, you know, a couple of, a couple of seconds usually, and then it resolves. Okay. Uh, and that, that does happen on, on, I think EOS and uh infrequently. Okay.
0: And that, so that infre- infrequently, they'll kind of have an incorrect transaction and it'll, it'll uh, revert back quickly before it, gets past a minute or something before it gets some sort of closer to finality.
1: Yeah, it happens when, for example, um, you know, tell us, uh, San Francisco creates a block and then, uh, what's one of the other block producers Telos UK, uh, starts creating a block, but they haven't seen the block from San Francisco yet. So they start creating in okay. their period, don't see this one and they end up creating a fast, a longer blockchain before anybody else sees the one from San Francisco. So everyone just quickly switches here. This transaction was included in, uh, Telos UK's blocks. So it's not really a big issue. It usually it pretty much always gets resolved very quickly. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, So would you say the three minute block finality is, is it, plays into it's it's more most hindering within like uh big financial transactions or within uh, i mean the most straightforward one would be gambling or um or or exchanges
1: yeah i I think uh just your high value transactions you want to you want to be quite sure about that's when it's important uh so i guess this issue is is addressing the problem that for those you don't have this half second usability feature that's that's promoted as as how eos and telus work
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um
0: yeah yeah that that makes sense because it is like in just you know meetups and things like that it's this big i mean we do demonstrations on our phones a lot and we will have a meetup and then we'll say look how fast this is and i'll send you know a 100 bucks to max and he'll show it on his phone and he'll send it right back to me and everyone's like oh wow you yeah. know and it's like when you're kind of promoting that transaction speed but there is this uh three minute block finality that's kind of lingering in the background that we don't talk about so much.
1: Yeah, and you, you can see it on Block Explorer. So if you look it up on US Authority or, or wherever else, they'll show you uh, its status, mm-hmm. and it'll say like pending or waiting or something yeah. for those three minutes, and, and then it finally will say irreversible. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, the, that's the, uh, the three minute part. Okay. Um, so it's on the blockchain. As far as I can tell, that's pretty trustworthy. Mm -hmm. Uh, already as soon as you can see it on one of the blocks that means at least somebody it's going to be there most likely or at the very worst case somebody else would pick it up on on their next block on one of the micro forks so it's usually not a problem it's just a a little detail uh, in the story of how blockchains come to to consensus
0: and it sounds like boss Chain was addressing this three-minute finality a little bit and maybe shortened it. Does that seem like a really sound technical solution or what What kind of conclusion did you come to when you poked around for that?
1: Yeah, so I've been uh, talking to those developers today um, and figuring out how that worked because um, I was interested. And, and what they've done is they've added an, ad- an additional round of voting uh, before, um, during the validation, so I create a block, it gets added to the blockchain, and then it gets sent out to everybody, and they all uh, commit to each other. So within the top twenty-one, that it has, that it is a valid block. So on Telos, the block gets added to the blockchain, and then that's it. Everyone else validates it; it's correct, and you've got this one block at the beginning. On BOSS, the block producer creates their block. That gets sent around to all of the other blocks and they send messages to each other and all of the rest of the network to show that all of the top 21 have accepted it. So uh, this kind of uh, happens off the chain as far as I understand it. But uh, because the messages of all the top 21 do get circulated around the rest of the network, it means that they can all... They all get a confirmation that uh, at least fifteen of the block producers have seen and accepted that block even though it's only just been created so that's how they get to this finality a lot quicker okay
0: what kind of time how much time are they saving doing that
1: so they get so I haven't done the the calc for this, but they're basically are promoting that they have a three-second last irreversible block, so three-second oh, wow. finality, very fast. That's substantial. And um, there is an overhead with this, so there's an extra, there's uh, more network traffic, and especially between the block producers themselves, they have to send more messages between them. So I think I saw on the docs that that was adding like a eight or twenty percent overhead. Um, to the network to okay. do this so as far as so like... your uh, compromising kind of scalability a little bit and achieving faster finality okay and I think it makes sense Boscore does seem to be focusing on the token itself as the major product of the network so they're really focusing on the value transactions
0: okay interesting yeah it's it's cool to have all these chains Telos boss Warbly um, all experimenting with different uh, techniques because hopefully they can all you know if that if things like this start working, all the chains can be sharing ideas it's 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 interesting mm. yeah,
1: It is sure. cool yeah yeah it's it's really I think i so I worked on upgradability in the ethereum ecosystem quite heavily. And uh, I mean, I'll tell you, it's, it's a real mess trying to upgrade smart contracts pretty much everywhere other than USAO. And I think one of the things that got me very excited about USAO is being able to upgrade smart contracts. But that's, that ability, being able to upgrade smart contracts and having the entire governance of the chain in smart contracts, meaning that you could upgrade the entire governance, is an astounding you know, a really exciting part of it, not only is governance flexible, but it's super upgradable. And I think that means that the experimentation that can be done in the EOSIO ecosystem can be faster and more powerful than a lot of other places.
0: Yeah, that's something that stands out uh, with Telos is there is the focus on governance, which is which is seems to be right now one of the areas that EOS itself is struggling. So you know the block producers essentially not contributing enough to the governance, and uh, that's another another thing that your article hit on. What, um, can you kind of give your thoughts on that and why that's a current drawback that, that and how it's being addressed?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, it's an interesting topic. If you come, you know, from before the USAO um, kind of came here, having a governed blockchain wasn't really talked about. What you wanted was the blockchain to be governed by an algorithm, and that's it. Or you had to trust with mathematics. And and USAO. And Delegated Proof-of-Stake before that with Steam and, and BitShares introduced the concept of uh, you know governance and having a reputation tied to the people that are producing blocks. And then especially with EOSIO, it introduced the concept of them contributing to the ecosystem through more than just their blocks, through more than just creating blocks. So the idea was to them to build up reputation around the quality of the blocks they created, but also just what they did in the ecosystem. Um, And also, the governance of the blockchain is really about upgrading the blockchain itself, upgrading those rules to adapt the technology to its issues and to the demand for new features. And that's something that we're seeing all over in the OSIO chains. That this is being done. I think Telus is really leading this. It's got a lot of upgrades happening. Um, it's exciting that you can see them, they're transparent, it's all on chain. And what's, what's, um, what's happening in EOS is that the vision of what a block producer should do and how it contributes to the ecosystem is shifting. And that's being shifted by, uh, by who are the block producers themselves because they, at the end of the day, decide what the rules are. And it's shifting to more of a um, um, you know return on investment uh, for the voters and the block producers uh, kind of a business. So if you have EOS, a lot of block producers are now trying to incentivize you voting for them and earning um, a dividend or award uh, out of the block producer pay that they get for producing the blocks. And what that does is it moves away from having a governed blockchains where block producers are trying to um, add value to the ecosystem by, for example, producing blocks. Uh, sorry f- by producing D apps and contributing the ecosystem with research and other activities and it's also I think um, makes it makes the scope of upgrades a lot less so that the the block producers have this focus have this lower scope of what um, what voters should Be voting for. So if voters are only voting for dividends, that means block producers are going to upgrade only if it optimizes their rewards and the rewards of voters and nothing else. Whereas on blockchains like Telos, the scope is wider. It can, I think, do more. And I think that's a more exciting blockchain for me um, because it can try to upgrade and innovate in ways that. EOS is now uh, too limited to do.
0: Yeah, it does <clears throat> does make it seem more of a uh, more nimble as far as the, the governance goes, um, and that's part of the reason that we've shifted a lot of our focus. We actually took down our EOS EOS net uh, node at uh, EOS San Francisco, and now we have our Telos San Francisco node that we're um, working on building right now. But that was that, that's our thought that um that the focus has shifted is is what 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 are block producers adding and what's the what's the value proposition um so yeah it's a it's it's a it's a shifting thing i think a lot of the reason that that people get into esio is this idea that that you talked about with me earlier that um that it's a bridge between between blockchain this pure technology and and human governance and and there's some sort of there's something there where human governance comes into play that 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 is needed or that's interesting that needs to be really explored telos is starting to do a good job of that i think um yeah so what what are your thoughts on on how much governance we need how that fits in with blockchain just in general
1: I mean, it's something I give a lot of thought to, so uh, let, let me just take, take us back to Bitcoin and, and uh, you know Ethereum and, and a lot of blockchains. The assumptions that a lot of these um, blockchain protocols make is that the block producers will be rational. And, and essentially what they're saying is they're assuming that block producers will be greedy and that they will run software that optimizes their return. And that's, that's Bitcoin and basically it, it allows uh, for a currency to be run uh, with those assumptions and it runs uh, well in terms of um, you know the currency you know, exists and it can't be taken down. But it means that that is a base foundation assumption for something that I think could be an instrumental part of society. So in society these days, uh, you know, we have humans, uh, that's really at the core of all societies. Money has started to become a really uh, a key mechanism within humans and how we interact with each other and how we uh, trust each other and trade. Now the question is, would you trust a society where one of the foundation assumptions is that everybody will be greedy? And I think that is the society that Bitcoin can create. And I think that is a future that I am not excited about, where one of the foundation assumptions for one of the key components of the society is that everybody will be greedy. And I think the scope of running a currency has to be, well, the assumptions can't be that. Otherwise, we're writing our own demise in code. And, um, you know, for this reason, I think um, there's a lot to be said about um, the direction that blockchains are going towards. So first we started with uh, you know, proof of work that assumed everyone's greedy and basically says whoever has the most hardware and money to buy hardware can, can gain the system. People are building on proof of stake and now delegated proof of stake where we start to introduce some more um, um, reputation into it. So some more human values into the system And I think at the very end of the spectrum, one one that we've seen is a democracy. So democracy is, uh, in theory, trying to build a society, and it's got humans making all of the decisions. There's no algorithms at all. And I'm really interested in seeing uh, us move towards something that values human values more. Than we see in algorithmic blockchains, and Telos I think is leading the way in terms of um, showing that blockchains can be governed and governed well, and I think is the leading platform that I would develop on if I wanted to build something that uh, tried to bring human uh, society values into a financial system, which I think is a foundation that I want to see the society that I live in to have.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a really layered, uh, a really layered concept there. That's very interesting. Um, Yeah. The, the foundations that these societies are being built on these right now, they're small communities, but, people we can like extrapolate out and picture these turning into societies or the network that societies operate on in the same way that um for thousands of years societies have built themselves around currencies and different ways of transacting so it's there is a a much bigger picture here and it is when you think about um the uh, the foundation assumption being greed that is that is a uh, you know, just on a psychological level, that is a kind of a scary thought. Um, I wonder if I like the fact that Bitcoin can't be changed. I wonder if that can be siloed, you know, and it, and it seems like this is probably the direction it goes is that Bitcoin can be siloed as this way to safely store money, but then actual societies can be built, uh, with more interactions, daily interactions with something governed like the direction Talos is going. Um, uh, I mean, it, I, I hope that there's room for both. Um, but, but there does seem to be this spectrum. I mean, on one end there is, there's Bitcoin and this kind of code is law and it's, it's the foundation assumption is greed. And then the, the spectrum goes all the way to basically kind of a, you know, a, a democracy or or something there, but there's somewhere in the middle that we're trying to find where there's where where those two can can live together.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. i I think for me we have to go further than Telos is going mm-hmm. to get something that I think is, you know, is enjoyable to live in. Um so so the way I, I see Bitcoin and other pure algorithmic algorithmic uh, cryptocurrencies you know, because they're permissionless and you can't change the rules, it means that they can only ever cr- be, they, they can't create, they can't run an entire society. They can only be a permissionless, um, permissionless currency as part of society. But because they're permissionless, because it's, um, anybody can do anything, It will require regulation to make it safe to use for normal people. And so I think what EOSIO framework can do is build a system where regulation and currency is actually built into the same system. That can never be done with Bitcoin. And that's a really exciting thing. I think that can create all of the you know, friction losses and efficiencies that people talk about blockchain having in society, integrating these two parts together. But Bitcoin alone is a closed currency. It's not a closed society. It will always require external regulation to make it safe. Whereas, um, you know, Telos and EOSIO allows you to potentially create it all built into one system that's an exciting model that I haven't seen somebody really going down and, and something that I'm putting a lot of thought into at the moment.
0: That, that's a great concept. I, hadn't, I haven't heard that, uh, that, that before, this argument against Bitcoin because of the idea that for this, yeah, it's, safe, or it, it's there and it's unchangeable. But the fact that it can never be safe for the masses unless it's regulated, well, then you're going to have governance on Bitcoin anyway and uh,
1: it's already and,
0: and so do you want uh do you want this immutable bitcoin with with government regulation or do you want to try to build it within the fabric of something new some some new way of of governing um that is a that is a fantastic thought so you said that telos hasn't maybe gone far enough, obviously, where everyone's experimenting right now. Where do you see um, some boundaries that Telos can continue to push or that um, governance can be t- be continued to push? Where is that frontier?
1: Build ways where regulation can be built onto the blockchain and governance can be experimented with on the blockchain. So what I mean by governance to be experimented with Right now we see several, way, several deployed networks using the EOSIO framework, so you've got the first one, EOS, Telos, which is the one that I'm uh, you know, most excited about, you've got Boscore, um, a few others, they're all experimenting with the rules, but they're all kind of separated from each other. What I think would be really interesting would be to create one deployed network that allows all of those experimentations to happen within it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to make them all basically uh, interoperable with each other, kind of competitive with, with each other, but within the same system, that would be a really interesting um, uh, system, and it would allow uh, you know governments to be um, experimented on and then the kind of results of seeing how well that works across the board could be then incorporated into the kind of top level governance of the blockchain that's running this with inside it it's kind of one idea i have and yet the the other was um, uh, yeah kind of starting to experiment with having you know human human level regulation built onto the blockchain there's a project on Ethereum. It's called like Open Law or OpenGL, something like this, and then it's trying to um, basically build a regulation into a public Ethereum blockchain. Wow. And I think that's that's a really cool idea. I think that there needs to be, I'm not somebody who believes that the world can exist without laws. And that's the world that Bitcoin is really, you know, thinks could it could work if it wanted to create a closed society. So I think humans can't really exist without some rules. And just think of your everyday life, whoever you live with or whatever it is. You're always setting up with rules or agreements, whatever. And so, you know, the the final result is that we have these legal frameworks, these regulation frameworks set up all over the world. And now we have the chance to make them super efficient through uh, smart contracts and put them on the blockchain and work with finance in the same place and build the foundation up with both of them, uh, working together. Mm. I think that's, uh, something I'm looking at and, and hopefully others, I know others looking at.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> I mean the, the, the reason we need rules, I mean, if you're, if you're living in a small community, 10 or 15 people, you can self enforce rules and there's, there's social pressures. But if we want to live in a community with millions of people, uh, there's, there's not this, uh, your friend isn't putting social pressure on you because you know, your friend lives 3000 miles away and you only talk over a computer. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a real clear uh, need for rules because, um, because society has gotten so much bigger, um, the human yeah. level, the human level regulation on on blockchain is is one of my the most interesting things that I see happen on Telos. That that is part of the reason I'm part of the community is I like seeing this more hands-on approach. I mean, there is we 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 are humans, and so like you know when we see blockchain, us building blockchains to cut us out of the equation, it's like that that doesn't something there. There's a dissonance there for me where. Wait, we we're what this is all about. Why are we trying to get rid of ourselves in in the decision making process here? We we yeah. have, you know, we have one of the greatest computers in the world that that has creativity and ways to solve problems in our head. And we're trying to kind of uh, you know, sideline that. And so I like the idea or I like the fact that Telos is more hands-on with with governance things like when block producers aren't producing just kicking them off you know giving them a, a cool down period very and, active there, yeah. yeah very active there if block producers are um sock puppets are not living up to a standard they you know they're actively kicked off that opens the door for um for for nefarious activity obviously but it also opens the door for an efficient blockchain and i think that there that's that's a re- really important part of um You know, it's the reason that uh, that sports teams will have a captain is because to operate the most efficiently, it's good to have someone helping push, push it along. And they're not always going to make the perfect decision, but they are making decisions Mm -hmm. and then things, you know, happen accordingly. So, um, yeah, I like that human. I I do like that thought about human level regulation. Absolutely. Um, And seeing, being part of the experiment, watching it all happen is, is fantastic.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's fantastic and stressful and, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, uh, yeah, a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It's very cool.
0: Um, so the, uh, your article is interesting. I'm going to link it in the description for people, but, uh, it's, it's your medium article at the block stack. It's called the eight worst issues and best features of the EOS blockchain. Um, a lot of it, has to do with telos and you know like uh, two or three of the things that are were some of the big drawbacks on eos telos is addressing um so i think that that was kind of interesting for me that's why i sought you out um, to come on the telos podcast is because of the fact that um it's cool to see telos addressing some of these things and experimenting yeah
1: you know, by far the biggest issue is kind of the the values of the current block producers on eos and the direction it's going in, it's easily the biggest issue and it's the most discussed within the EOS, EOS blockchain ecosystem. Um, and, and I think uh, Telos is really doing a good job there. And I think, as I explained in the article, if you, do, if you have the right block producers, you can actually address all the other issues much easier. But if you don't have that right, you're stuffed. It's like having a corrupt government. Once it's corrupt, there's not much you can do. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's, thats the idea, I think, that you hit on there is the uh, the protocol upgrade centralization. Is that is that how you put it? Um, that basically, if you get what we're seeing on EOS, is it, the the incentives are now to optimize for block producers making money to give more rewards, and so all the you know that's going to slow down the the protocol upgrades because they're going to be they're optimizing for a different thing. Um, so yep. yeah, that, that does become a downward spiral. Um, and it, yeah, so it, So yeah, it's interesting to see how that's being addressed. That's, it, it's yeah. great that it's great that it's great that Telos is addressing that. Uh, it's great that boss is over there addressing some of the the tech issues as far as making the the money transferable. So
1: yeah, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of one of the other really big issues that is in this article, um is is um something that a developer recently did a very big investigation on yeah dexaran he's recently you know really highlighted how badly usio frameworks handle congestion mode hmm. so what what basically happens is that once so, so block blockchains have a resource re, sorry they have a limited amount of resources um, and that limits the blockchain's ability to produce a certain number of transactions, whatever. Once, uh, once the blockchain's nearly at capacity, the way EOSIO does is it kicks into something called congestion framework, uh, a congestion mode, and that then starts limiting people based on, you know, the wealth they have in the network. So the first people who basically just get completely cut off they can no longer send transactions at the poorest. That That's bad in itself, but the other really bad thing, and this is something I didn't understand until his article, is that this congestion mode takes a long time to actually come out of. It can take up to like 20 minutes um, from it being initially congested to coming out of that time. And the third problem is that using the resource exchange, Rex, um, you can actually buy enough tokens to congest the network with, uh, you know, $10, $20. So you can basically oh, wow. stop the blockchain for indefinitely, very cheaply. Um, and that's a big problem for all EOSIO chains. No, nobody's yet to uh, really solve this. I was very disappointed again to see the block one denied that this is a problem.
0: Interesting. So, because of the because of the resource exchange, people are able to buy the that, that amount of resources that cheaply. I did not. I didn't know that. Interesting.
1: Yeah. So this was a part of the attack that mm-hmm. um, that was made on EOS bed on the EOS mainnet recently, mm-hmm. and I think that's instigated this guy to really analyze see what happened in this congestion mode. And the reality is, I could go rent out. You know ten thousand eOS for the price of about ten eOS use those ten thousand eOS to completely spam the network for a long time mm-hmm. and i I could do it almost indefinitely and stop d apps token transfers only the extreme wealthy would then be able to use the blockchain hmm. and that that's a big problem I think uh, that the issue was bigger than I originally understood it when I wrote the article and I'm planning on updating the article to highlight that.
0: Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's like a, that's the double edged sword because you want these resources cheap so that, so that D apps can use it. But if the resources are so cheap that uh, anyone can spam the network, then it starts to, you know, I wonder how, I wonder how yeah, to well,
1: solve that. Yeah, Yep. So I think it comes down to this accounting model, Having some pretty fatal flaws. One of them is in the RAM price. I think there are some big issues there and And now the combination of congestion mode with the resource exchange Has created this this problem one by itself is fine, but both together Create this, uh, you know, very easy to activate congestion mode, which is stuff set up for everybody
0: Hmm. is there a way, um, is there some sort of do you think human level regulation that can step in there and and monitor that? Is that possible or
1: on EOS? No, um, because they removed you know all of their abilities to do kind of arbitration processes and stuff. Mm-hmm. I see no reason why if somebody started doing that on Telos, the block producers um, couldn't stop it and then ban that account. Mm-hmm. Um, Seems like it's a solution. Maybe it's not the best long term solution, but it would be a way to effectively stop this happening on Telos. And block producers, the the system contracts which block producers are allowed to use actually have unlimited resources. So uh, it's, block producers can always send transactions if they band together. So they would always be able to do this if they're active, which they are on Telos. So in fact, Telos has a way to stop this from happening. Whether it should be able to happen at all is probably another question that should be addressed. But I think um, less of a risk on Telos, that's for sure. And I, I, I would wonder if somebody did this, what the block producers would do. And I'm not willing to pen to spend $10 to do it because block producers might ban me. Yeah, do. you
0: get your account banned, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, that is um, th- that's that's one of the that that is something that needs to be addressed. It's good. There's a stopgap until there becomes some sort of um, engineering solution to that, though. Very. That's mm. good that there's absolutely good. There's a stopgap. Um, it's one of the, that's one of the important parts about like you're saying. I mean, that's why having active block producers is so important. Having uh, yeah. active governance is so important. Uh, especially when you're so new in something, there's so many things that are going to break along the way, like this, yep. and need a stop cap to be addressed. I mean, you need you need that active governance to to be yep. to continue. So, yep, absolutely. Is there anything else that you'd like to uh, hit on as far as the um, as far as your article, as far as uh, problems solutions between uh, on the EOSI blo-
1: IO blockchain? The, the the RAM price model is also, I think a major issue on most of the EOSI blockchains. So what I've said in this, in this article is that um, the price of RAM, so the price of storage that smart contracts can use, is determined by this uh, uh, one-sided algorithm, It's a derive, it's similar to how Bancor works. And the problem with this algorithm is that it doesn't know anything other than the supply and, and the, the demand of RAM. It doesn't know anything about how much capacity the network has. It doesn't know anything about the price of the token, which is, at the end of the day, a bridge to determine the cost that the block producers actually have in the real world. And And that means it can't react to any of those variables automatically. And uh, I think the the place where this is most, I think, problematic is if you see the price change of Telos, the RAM price will change accordingly. If the price of Telos doubles tomorrow, RAM will all of a sudden cost twice as much, despite the fact that nobody's using more RAM and nobody's demanding more RAM. The cost will just have doubled straight away. And I think this, this, um, this model is unfair to block producers, mostly, and unfair to DApp providers who then have, you know, very, you know, a lot of people want the Telos price to increase, but that will invariably mean that RAM gets incredibly expensive. Um, this will also encourage, you know, if the Telos price was to increase, it would encourage more nodes to enter the network. It would encourage more nodes to want to be block producers because there would be higher rewards. So it would encourage there actually be to be um, a higher cost of storing RAM. But it's the 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 way to the way that the the cost of RAM in the algorithm synchronizes with the real cost within the network. Is very much not succinct. It's 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 not very quick to react on that. So if you doubled the price, the time it took for the actual amount of costs in the network to double would, you know, not be instant. And that's that's something that I think could be addressed by having the block producers actually participate in setting the price um, to some level. I think that would be a good idea. As far as setting, um, or a good idea. To, to, to try at least. Mm-hmm. So allowing the block producers to, to say, okay, look, um, so something that they do in Ethereum is they adjust the, the gas price and that could be done in a similar way. Every block producer is allowed to propose a slight change on the RAM price. Is how it's done in Ethereum. So I think in Ethereum, they're allowed to change it by 0.006% every new block. Similar thing could be done in EOS where the block producers can actually influence the price. It can still react somewhat automatically uh, based on the supply and demand, but then block producers can also adjust it based on the price within the network that it costs them and it costs the rest of the network to store that data in RAM. And I think that would be a a more predictable way for block producers and DApps to uh understand their costs and that would be better for everybody
0: and would that be something that uh the block producers would do on a they would they would have their adjustment in uh how often would they be submitting that would you
1: think i'm not sure it depends mm-hmm. you could say that every block producer is allowed to propose per block or per minute or something Mm-hmm. a change and then essentially what would happen is um, at some point some events happen and all of a sudden ram demand goes up um, you know the bank or other one can increase the price which is good but all of a sudden the block is okay it's actually not that expensive still we can put it down a little bit so I'm going to start on my blocks decreasing by a little bit and supposedly, some other block producers don't agree with that. They can increase, and eventually, it all comes to consensus. Mm-hmm. I think still.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe block producers could have some sort of uh, like a rate limiter, all, almost like as it increases through a certain price, then they start voting for it to for for it to be
1: go down a little bit. Maybe they could automate that. Yeah, well, there, there could be a few more variables, and. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I think there's a lot of interesting approaches that could be taken here. The one I'm talking about is the one that they do on Ethereum. And basically, the the block producers can directly, they can't set the price, but they can change the price by a tiny amount per block. Mm-hmm. Whereas, so that's one thing you could do here. The other is you could give the block producers access to some variables, and that influences the price as well as the supply and demand. Um, that might be a a more transparent solution and that's something the block producers can kind of agree on in a bit of a better way, Um, different approaches, I'm not sure which would be best, but nobody's really looking at this problem yet. Uh, I think there are bigger problems, there's definitely bigger problems in EOS, and I think a bigger problem is the congestion mode still, Um, but I think RAM, RAM, RAM price is a problem. I've heard several DApp producers complaining about this as well, so I think it's a problem that should be addressed.
0: What's is that forcing D-app, uh, um, people running DApps to hold more RAM just in case? I mean is it is like having to hold more in reserve all the time for that or what's
1: what's how's that affecting them? It's a good question. And I wouldn't feel qualified to like really answer that on behalf of anybody. All right, yeah. Um mm-hmm. I, I can't but I, if I had a better memory, I might be able to remember the conversation details, but I, I can't exactly say what, what they've said. Yeah, that seems like a reasonable assumption to me, mm-hmm. but I'm not exactly sure.
0: Um, some of the other things that you mentioned, it seems like we've hit on a lot of things that you mentioned in your article. You mentioned the uh, smart contract upgrade centralization. What is? Can you explain that a little bit?
1: So One of the, the really cool parts about... Um, the uh, EOSIO framework is that most of the rules are on-chain; they're in smart contracts, and the permissions to um, upgrade those rules reside with the block producers. Um, so the way the way it now is on EOS is that as soon as 15 block producers agree on an upgrade then they can they can upgrade the rules to whatever they want it to be. There's there's really no other process other than that. My understanding in Telos is that it needs to go through some kind of referendum process first, where you get input from the users and then it can be upgraded. So it's it's better on telos, but on EOS it, it really comes down to the block producers only. And this this is different to the, the rest of the consensus block consensus on EOS and Telos is the top 21 producers have to agree, but then also all of the validating nodes have to agree. If both the things don't happen, blocks will not synchronize across the network. Um, they may synchronize within the top 21, but they won't get out of the network if you're if you're disagreeing with the rules of the block. Um, so it's more decentralized than just 21 nodes. It's decentralized to uh, hundreds of nodes. That's the decentralized level of Telos and EOS. But the decentralized level of upgrading the rules is now only with 15 nodes. So that's the most central point of the system. And um, upgrading the rules is, as you can imagine, extremely important it's an important security consideration if you can upgrade the rules and remember that the rules include the system token the telos token is part of the rules the block producers can upgrade the rules and say you can now double spend this token you know six people can own token at once all all kinds of crazy things i'm not saying it's going to happen i'm saying it's theoretically possible to just completely change the rules of the token Um, and so it becomes a pretty fundamental part when you're talking about security of the chain. Um, One thing that is, uh, you know, to the benefit of all the OSI frameworks is that all upgrades are also done through an on-chain transaction, so everything's super transparent. You can't upgrade it without anybody knowing, Um, but it still is the most central point of EOSIO Networks is the upgrade process, and on EOS, after they passed the end user agreement, the EUA. After they passed that, that took away the referendum process and meant that the power to upgrade existed solely within the block producers, the 21 block producers. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> it's a funny, it's a funny concept. How with even with the governments and and just with humans in general, the the group in power has this tendency to continually take little micro steps of gaining more power over time. And it's kind of a one-way street. And it's it's interesting to see that happen even with this decentralized blockchain like EOS with this grand vision. It's like one of the first steps that was taken was, you know, we just should just have a little bit more, you know, we need to kind of centralize this a little more. We need a little bit more power as the block producers here. Um,
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, it's just those it's almost like part of human nature that the that people in power want to uh, consolidate that power or or solidify it a little bit. Over time it has an effect.
1: And I think that's something that's somewhat intoxifying in this whole blockchain industry. Um, And I think it's something that needs to be refreshed and that's why I talk about the size and I think human values need to be bought into blockchains more than they are now. Otherwise, we will end up with systems that are governed by the richest, which in my opinion is one of the whole things, you know, one, one of the reasons why we didn't want blockchains. We didn't want banks running the system anymore. And if we want something that's better than that, I think we have to um, try, try to actively build it and the way I see a lot of cryptocurrencies being developed is that it's basically heading straight for that. Um, you know, Delegated proof-of-stake may in the future really look like proof-of-stake. And uh, that would be very interesting if it does.
0: Um, what do you mean by that? How delegated proof-of-stake might look like proof-of-stake as far as the rich governing?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, in in EOS what we're seeing is that the whales and the exchanges are holding all of the voting power. And the reason they're voting for the ones they're voting for is because they're getting rewards back from the block producers themselves. They're paying them you know, some, some voting rewards. And that's, that's very similar to how proof of stake works. So what we're seeing on um, EOS is that basically, you know, wealthy exchanges and whales are voting for block producers and then getting paid for that in in you know uh, taking part of that cut, and that's starting to look very similar to proof of stake pools, where you you bundle your wealth together with others, you put it with somebody who can create blocks. They run a bit of software to create the blocks based on the amount of wealth you have, and then uh, it's starting to look very similar. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's this. It's almost the delegated proof of stake, it's just adding the layer of delegation. But once that delegation is uh, incentivized by rewards, then all of a sudden it's, it it's just a facade for proof straight proof of stake almost. So
1: yes. Yeah. It looks more and more like it. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Would you like to talk about the unused um, inflation model?
1: Yeah, it's a really good one. I think it opens up, It opens up the possibility of what a blockchain can do you know far more than previous so you know five percent inflation rate is pretty high that's a lot of tokens especially on eos where tokens are worth a lot um and, and and on telos they're being put to good use but what it means is instead of having a closed a closed currency system all it does is run itself all it does is create blocks and allow the apps to produce, uh, build on top of it, is that it can actually create its own ecosystem that it itself contributes to. And that's, I think, a really important sustainability uh, model and consideration. So a lot of blockchains in the past uh, you know, have foundations that are set up on the side that are dedicated to um, building the blockchain software whereas with uh you know an inflationary model like you have on on these frameworks in the usao it 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 should be quite possible for that all to be uh combined so that the the inflationary model is used to pay for the development of the software and also not just the software of the blockchain but also parts of the software and the ecosystem. So the, the free parts that people want to depend on, so that might be wallets or whatever it is. And I think that's a really exciting part uh, of this inflationary model is that it can create a more closed system, create a, a more circular system. and I think that's a sustainability characteristic that I think allows that to be really more interesting than what we've previously seen in public blockchains. I, yeah. think, uh, I think the first one to introduce this was Dash. They did a treasury system and it was, it was extremely successful. So I think this is an extension. They've done some really cool stuff in uh, like Venezuela with their treasury system. And I think people should get, you know, using those funds to do things like build wallets and stuff in the ecosystem, but making a blockchain more than just a financial system could involve using some of those funds to build a bridge in a war zone where it got destroyed. You know, thinking outside the box. Let's let's build a society on a blockchain. That's what that inflationary model allows us to do potentially, and it really increases the scope of what a blockchain is is can do.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's another one of these really beautiful segues into human governance and blockchain, whereas. Uh, you know, and the states will pay taxes and w- a lot of people feel like a lot of their taxes are wasted on things that they're not interested in or, you know, didn't want to happen, you know, but with, and, and then there's not much accountability for how the money is spent, more importantly, like it seems like it can be wasted. Um, yep. With blockchain governance, and we were talking about building a bridge as an example, there would be some sort of clear deliverable that people, uh, that the community is able to vote on and then have a a budget for it and a um, you know and, and a clear deliverable and that's something that is sorely needed within kind of the, the the governance models that we have we've been operating with for a long time so that is kind of a bright future for as we think about blockchain expanding into our lives and, and how humans actually govern each other but accountability for where the inflation in this case or some sort of Semi, it's. I mean, inflation could almost be looked at like a tax. Um, where that's going, how that's being spent for yeah. public resources, essentially.
1: Yeah, I mean, it opens up the ability. If you did view a blockchain as a closed society ecosystem, then that inflation is the tax on people's savings. But it means you don't have to have any other tax if that becomes to enough. So. It means that all of the accounting and shit that we do uh, for taxes and all of the legislation around tracking and trying to find taxes isn't needed anymore. and that's a huge friction uh, reduction in itself no problem. Yeah. and the and the
0: option to opt in and out of in and out of these systems is is something that you don't see with current taxes. you know you're kind of stuck you're 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 born somewhere and that's that's the system that you're a part of with yep. different blockchains and these closed systems, but you're opt-in, opt-out. That is a, a huge model. All of a sudden, if, if you feel like you're part of this system and they're spending their inflation the incorrect way, well, there's options for For mobility within different systems, how do you? Where do you want your money to be spent? How do you want it to be spent? What what part of community? What kind of society do you want to be a part of? So um, yeah, yeah. that flexibility is huge, I think, because people are so different.
1: I think when you start talking about societies on a blockchain, I mean, a a lot of people in this space, you know, decentralization is a big buzzword, and I think there's a lot of good characteristics of decentralization, but there's a lot of good characteristics of blockchain that have nothing to do with the decentralization. Just having the cryptographically transparent operations and the cryptographic accountability is super important. And I think something that EOSAO shows extremely uh, well is that when you're voting on the funds, you know, actively voting on the funds and seeing where they're being used, not only is it more transparent, you can see what's happening there, you're feeling involved. You feel like you've made part of the decision of where it got used. So even if it was done badly here, you feel accountable yourself. So I think that's also a kind of circular part in the society and, and these systems that can mean that even though we might have a government on a blockchain, it can be much better than today because people can be much more involved with it and it can be more transparent.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the feeling that, uh, yeah, the feeling of involvement is, is important. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's part of the reason that, uh, I mean, that'll, that incentivize people to be a part more active part of their communities.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. When I, when I work with, with, within my teams and groups that I work with, the the team members that, you know, participating, you know, they're, they're the ones that are kind of happiest, and the ones that are being the least transparent about what they're doing, they're the ones that people have the most problems with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same case that we have in societies these days. Um, I'm not trying to black box this and say everything's about this because life is definitely not black and white. But uh, I would say this is, this is a part of the value that um, I guess part of the vision that I see for blockchains is that it can be more than just a cryptocurrency. And I think uh, Telos is showing a lot of, you know, interesting steps into it, potentially doing that. And EOSIO frameworks really allow for in ways that couldn't be done before. Really cool stuff.
0: Absolutely. Well, this has been a great talk, really interesting things here. Uh, Didn't disappoint after reading your your article. I was, I, I was, excited to talk to you about all this. This has been fantastic. Um, Did you have anything that you'd like to hit on any last points you'd like to cover um,
1: before we start to wind down here? I don't think so. Um, I mean, we have uh, certainly spoken through all of the, you know, pretty bad parts about the EOS network, Um, but I'm, I'm not somebody... And a lot of those points apply to Telos and other blockchains. But uh, you should read this, this article that I wrote. Uh, I do think USIO is the leading framework for blockchains and I've outlined you know, why. It's, it's more usable, it's more transparent, it's more upgradable. Um, I'm still very much looking at a bunch of other uh, platforms myself. I'm pretty chain agnostic and I'm pretty critical on, on blockchains. But uh, don't feel like if you if if you're listening to this that just because we're shitting on a few of these issues that 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 uh, these frameworks don't work or they don't work better than what's previously been done anyway.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the other half of this article is the eight best things about Eosio software. So <laughs> go go you know go read the article. Um, I think that people. Uh, are you know most people are really familiar with the good things that's why i mean that's why i've I've been doing eos for the last couple years is it's there's a lot of there's a lot of good going on so that definitely shouldn't be overshadowed um this has been a fantastic thank you uh jack and if you're listening to this and you want more from jack tanner he is at the block stock at, um, on Twitter, and you got a really interesting Twitter. I, I went through your Twitter. You, you shared some cool articles. One of the articles that you shared was actually this, like some of the governance things that we talked about in society and uh, building societies on blockchains, and um, you got uh, stuff about all different blockchains on there, which was cool. Stuff about um, Tether, and yeah, so. Cool, cool follow for Twitter, and uh, I'll link the Medium article here. Have some cool Medium articles you've written. Um, where, where would you like people to find you on socials, Jack? Uh,
1: I think just Twitter. Twitter. Um, don't go on my LinkedIn. I've got too many requests. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can follow my Medium. I do write there occasionally. I do like writing there. I think I'm interested to see if I'm going to join Voice. It depends on how much of my personal information they want to put on a blockchain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Any insight? If I ask for my address to go on the blockchain, I'm not going to join Voice, so you won't see me there. Yeah. You say if you ask Uh, for your address, if they want me to post publish my address on the blockchain, Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Depends. Depends how they do this. Uh, It's been asked for me on a few DApps already, so on uh, EOS Stack. I went to join, and you had to put your, your full name and full address on the blockchain. I said, no, I'm not part of that. No kidding. Uh, I think I think uh, it, it's a privacy issue for me at the moment. I'm happy to put my name on the blockchain, I think. I think that's that makes sense. I'm happy to put my, my re- name on my reputation, but other things aren't necessary at this stage. So I'm interested to see. I, I have a feeling they're going to, I've seen a few hints that they may be doing stuff like that. I'm I'm interested to see how, how that gets handled by them. But if, if, then I should be in voice and I'll be excited to test that out as well.
0: Yeah. I hope that it's, I hope they find some sort of balance where it's not a a privacy issue, because if so, that's going to be a, a, you know, that'll be a sad day. It, It is, it's weird to, to, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens because they're in D.C. working so close with the, the U.S. government, you know, with with the regulators where they paid the SEC uh, recently, which um, seems like a good sign. But also on the flip side of that, it's like they are deeply in bed with the government now. And I wonder what sort of concessions they'll have to make to launch voice. It's going to be. What interesting times! I wouldn't be. I wouldn't rather be at any other time than right now. This this is this is, this is crazy. Really interesting.
1: ones are really mm, kind of a, a piece in this whole e- ecosystem for me. Mm-hmm. They've produced something, you know, very good. But the way they interact with with the people in the ecosystem is different to, well, certainly what I'm used to with other blockchain ecosystems. Um, and they're, they're certainly doing things differently. Yeah, um, what's yeah. your? Do you have any predictions
0: or any insight on voice? When do you think that'll launch, or what? What the? Uh, what's the timeline? You
1: think on that? Your guess. I'm. 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 I haven't followed enough. Wouldn't yeah. make a prediction. Too bad. <laughs> Me neither, though. I, yeah, I have no
0: idea. I, I always ask people. I'm always hoping someone's like been talking to Dan in Telegram and Telegram when he lets something oh, yeah. slip. <laughs> cool. No, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> well, fantastic to have you on, Jack. It was fantastic to meet you. Um, yeah, thanks time. very much, man. Yep, absolutely. And uh, my Telos podcast friends. Until next time. Cheers. Yep.
1: Thanks, guys. Bye. The money is not the prime asset in life. Time is.